This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's exclusive discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets. Online at Fansets.com. An emotional farewell, a devastating confession, and an unexpected reveal. The title for Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery was one that gave fans hopes that at least one mystery about this season would be answered, and the build-up to that revelation was charged with emotion, tension, drama, and excitement. Who is the mysterious Red Angel? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. No sooner have we said goodbye to a beloved crew member, the next chapter in the Red Angel mystery begins with a dastardly plan to lure the mysterious being right where the crew of the Discovery wants it. But will it come at an awful price? There was a lot going on in this week's episode, from jaw-dropping revelations about Burnham's past to eyebrow-raising flirtatiousness from a certain mirror universe empress to perhaps the beginning of healing of old wounds between brother and sister. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled The Red Angel. Everyone who's been speculating about who the Red Angel is and with a title as direct as this one, chances are we're going to find out with this episode. I know all kinds of possibilities have been thrown around as to who the being was, and I'm willing to bet no one saw this coming. And that includes my trusted podcast partner. He's been talking about his choice for the identity of the Red Angel in our long-range scans for weeks now. Was he right or was he wrong like he usually has been with his predictions? Well, it doesn't matter either way because the discussion is always fun and entertaining with my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, uh, wow, Th- that was some pretty amazing uh, television there, wasn't it? Or perhaps you just have a penchant for the dramatic. it was buddy thanks so much for that welcome and that intro i appreciate it um yeah no i'm gonna own up to it i was wrong i mean (laughs) we always know that that we're pretty much wrong on the uh on the long-range scans almost all the time i mean out of uh uh, i've gotten one right in so far in the history of discovering trek one out of uh, a lot Uh, well one is the loneliest number that you ever heard so um uh, while while you suffer with your long range scans, I got to say I think you've got one more than I have. Correct. So while I brood about that, why don't you tell us who we have joining us uh, this week for Discovering Trek? That is absolutely true, Dan, and something I'm very happy to do. He's the new host of Weekly Trek on the Tricorder Transmissions Network of Podcasts, and also a contributor at Trek Core. He's the lovely and talented Alex Perry, and he joins us now for his first appearance on Discovering Trek. Alex, so good to have you here, man. Welcome. Oh, good to be here. Thank you so much, guys. And I will say, uh, I think, uh, don't be too hard on yourself, because I'm not sure there are many people out there who did correctly guess the identity of the Red Angel. And if they say they did, they are liars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> lying, lying. Nobody saw this one coming. <laughs> Alex, it's so great to uh, to talk to you, other than at STLV. Uh, thanks for joining us here. It's going to be a fun ride, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. What a fabulous episode. It was fabulous. So let's get right to it. Uh, before we get into the into the meat of the episode, Bill, we've got a lot to talk about, and we always want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts. So how can they get in touch with us to tell us who they thought was the Red Angel? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, Dan, that's incredibly easy to do on Twitter. We can be found at Discovering Trek and on Ye Old Book of Faces. You can catch up to us at facebook.com slash discovering trek in either place. You can become part of the discussion. You can leave us comments, questions, or even ridicule our choices for who the Red Angel turned out to be. Plus, now you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button there on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you might leave us could be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thank you, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. 
from here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest episode, and then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for the Red Angel. Trainees, to the briefing room. Bill and Alex, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, let's get your high-level thoughts first. Was it a thumbs up? Was it a thumbs down? And a couple of quick sentences as to why. And Alex, as our special guest of honor this week, let's start with you, my friend. This one was a definite thumbs up for me. I think it continues a really strong run of episodes for the back half of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. I think there's obviously going to be a lot of focus on that very last shot of the episode and the identity of the Red Angel. But I think, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that this was a really, really strong character episode. We had a number of really, really nice one-on-one scenes between characters over the course of this episode that you know, gave us all of the sort of character development that we have been wishing and hoping for, for a lot of these characters kind of moving these stories along. So I think, you know, the, the red angel will be what this episode is remembered for, but I think in reality, what it should be remembered for is a lot of the really great, strong character work that happened throughout. Uh, Bill, you're fired. Alex, you now are the host, uh, co-host of discovering Trek because that was awesome. Bill, <laughs> Do I even need to go now? I mean, um, no, a, a total thumbs up. And this is 10 in a row. I mean, you know, I haven't hit, uh, haven't hit a thumbs down yet this season. I, I agree with Alex 100%. I and mean, this episode does a great job of answering one of the central mysteries of this season. But it packs a lot of fantastic character development around it. Um, there's levity. There's, there's drama. There's really good, intense introspection of character. This episode really does have everything. And honestly, I think it's one of the most solid outings of the season. I absolutely agree. I gave it a thumbs up as well. And as with Bill, 10 in a row for this season so far, uh, I love the flow of this episode from the funeral to the creation of the plan to catch the Red Angel to the actual moment when the identity is revealed. I thought it was all great buildup. But like you guys said, there was a lot of interaction with characters that really work this week. And I thought the level of emotion in this episode may have been the highest we've seen. And as a result, I thought it was one of the strongest episodes of the season uh, from an acting standpoint. So definitely a thumbs up, three thumbs up. I think we're 30 for 30 uh, this season or however the number is, because there's a couple of weeks where we haven't had guests. But we have not had a thumbs down yet this season. And that's showing how awesome Discovery is so far. So let's get right into the discussion points, guys. There was a lot to talk about. Uh, well, let's start off with the, with such a beautiful send-off to a character who we lost last week, and that's the funeral of Arium. Uh, the flash sequences between her and Sickbay having all of her memories deleted and the virus purged from her system um, back to the members of the crew talking in the shuttle bay was really something that we haven't seen uh, in Star Trek. We did see a little bit of a funeral, of course, in Star Trek II, the famous one, but this one really... Uh, really tugged at the heartstrings, Alex, didn't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion since last week's episode around the character development that Arium received in that episode and lots of discussion around whether, you know, people would have preferred to have seen some of those scenes in earlier episodes of the season rather than, you know, coming all at once. Um, So I think, you know, the extent to which the funeral scene resonated with you probably depends on how well the previous episode worked for you. But as somebody for whom the previous episode worked, the funeral scene also worked worked really well uh, as well you know um, and uh, we got the opportunity to hear Doug Jones sing so um, who would have thought you would have ever had that in Star Trek Discovery um, but here we are so I guess next up is uh, is Anthony Rapp but it was you know it was really nice um, there were a couple of really nice moments in the funeral scene um, uh, Detmer um, acknowledging her eye prosthesis for the very first time was a really nice moment for that character because you know in the Vulcan Hello, she didn't have it. In the Battle of Binary Stars, she didn't have it. And then in Context is for King, she did have it. Mm-hmm. And it was never really acknowledged or, or called out. So it, it was nice to kind of get a, a moment for that character. And I think, you know, just continuing that kind of steady drumbeat of these sort of small little moments for each of these characters along the way that ultimately build up to then earning you an emotional payoff like the funeral scene for Arium. 
I've seen a couple of people online talk about the fact that um, her her coffin was shot out of Discovery, and we don't really know if it burned up in the atmosphere of the planet or if it's just floating out in space. And people have actually brought up the question of, is that something that we may see come back at some point? I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm not going to give that too much thought right now. But, Bill, as Alex said, Doug Jones singing Kelpian funeral song. I think that's something that might be a uh, commute celebration song at some point in the, in, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but but what a severe downer that would be. I mean, it was oh, beautiful. True. Don't get me wrong. Doug Jones has a, a wonderful voice. Um, at first, I thought it was overdubbed with with somebody else. That's how good it was. But um, I, th- I thought it was a great choice for the scene. I thought there were a lot of great choices in that scene, interspersed among the uh, the sequences of Arium's memories being deleted. And I thought that was an interesting choice on its own. You know, they made a conscious decision to wipe what was part of her non um, biological brain. And um, that's something I hadn't considered before. I mean, you know, we don't have to worry about that with just mere you know, humans mm-hmm. with an augmented human. Uh, I thought that that was a nice touch to add that they, they went through that as part of the autopsy process. I thought that funeral scene hit uh, pretty much every note. I'm not going to lie. I got a little teary eyed during it. Um, I had the effect I think it was supposed to have. And I thought it was just v- executed very well. One of the strongest moments of that scene, I think, for me, was they were showing close-ups of different characters as they were speaking. But then at one point, they finally showed a very high uh, high angle shot of the shuttle bay. Yeah. I think that's the first time we've seen that much of a crew on Discovery assembled in one place. And it really looked great. It reminded me of Star Trek The Motion Picture when Kirk was talking about V'ger coming, uh, um, coming towards Earth. I really liked it. Um, I also liked, as you mentioned a moment ago during the autopsy scene, with the scan of Arium, we actually got to see how much of her was organic versus how much of her was cybernetic. And I thought that was that was pretty cool. Alex? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'll give you guys a free long-range scan, right? I got one for the end of the episode, but I'll give you one nice. right now. Nice. So last shot of the season. So the Enterprise warps away, and uh, we pan down onto a planet. And as the music swells... We, we focus in further and further and further onto a forest, and we find a clearing in the forest, and lying on the ground in the clearing is a Starfleet torpedo. Cut to black, end of season, season three. Wow. The search for Arium. The search for Arium, that's right, absolutely. <laughs> very, very nice. Yeah, so a great uh, opening scene with the funeral. Uh, later on in the episode, we're going to kind of bounce around. It might not go in sequential order as to how the episode was, but um, I got to say, Sonequa, Martin Green this week was firing on all cylinders and the scene with her as Burnham and Layton with the big reveal about her parents being actual members of section 31 was not expected. I did not. That was a great curveball to throw at the audience. I think Uh, you just had a Ron Burgundy moment because you called him Layton. I did call him Leland. Leland. You know, I did that the other day, too. It's Leland. Layton versus Leland. You know, Layton probably was Section 31. That's probably true. That's right. That was his code name. So, yes, Leland, of course. Uh, Yeah, I actually typed Layton, too. And I did that for reasons unbeknownst to me. But, yeah, it was a great, great reveal. See, See, now you're making the scene as if it was comedic, and it wasn't. So let's let's reel it back in, guys. Come on now. <laughs> um, the 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 emotion, the tears flowing freely on on Burnham's face as she was uh, hearing this information for the first time uh, just shows the skills that Taniqua has, but also the unbelievable burden that Taniqua has been carrying with her her whole life now is is has been changed with this revelation. And Bill, let's start with you. Uh, I know that you probably have lots to say in regards to what happened here. You know, I was happy with the payoff on this because when it was mentioned earlier in the season, it seemed a little ham-handed. You know, I, okay, well, hey, Leland, you think Burnham might find out about uh, how you killed her parents? Mm. And that just was like, really? Really? Come on. They're really going to add that to this and he's going to be involved? But I thought the way that it was, it was addressed was handled very well. They added some context and some backstory to it that was plausible, and it... it you introduced an uh, um, an element of regret on Leland's part, which I, I thought was was played pretty well by Alan Van Sprang. Um, I thought it was a great scene between both of those characters. Sinequa hit every range of emotion, and you know, uh, Alan Van Sprang had the unenviable task of of having to work opposite of that and then get the crap beaten out of him. So <laughs> uh, I thought it was a fantastic scene all around. Yeah, um, lots of lots of. 
lots of technology to talk about when that reveal was coming out about how parents actually built the the uh, the Red Angel suit and time crystals, which I think the only other time we've heard about that was in Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad with Harry Mudd. So lots of things going on there. Alex, I'm sure that you had a, um, a range of emotions yourself when you were watching that scene. What did you think? Yeah, I was I was with Bill in my uh, review for Trek Corps for Saints of Imperfection. I remember calling out the moment where Giorgio says to Leland, you know, you you did you did you are responsible for the death of her parents and I was pretty critical of that moment because at the time it felt like to me that they were reaching too hard to manufacture history and drama between the characters and and, right. and my point at the time was you know not everybody has to have a secret history in order for there to be tension between the characters sometimes the events that you see on screen are enough to drive the tension between the characters um, but now uh, it, it works much much better for me um, uh, now that I see that as having been laying the foundation for what the rest of the, the season was going to be um, and, and yeah yeah, I think it, uh, you know, it, and I guess this gets in a little bit into the discussion of, of the overall identity of the Red Angel. But um, for me, it was n- it, it never seemed right that the Red Angel was going to be something entirely new to Discovery. Um, that's not the way this show has operated, um, you know, that it was going to be, you know, like the Iconians because the right. Star Trek Online depiction of the Iconians was kind of similar to the Red Angel suit. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who were, who were very into the idea of it being the Iconians, but we've never had a mention of the Iconians on Star Trek Discovery before. So I think it would have ultimately been um, a disappointing payoff if that had been the case. But for it to have been something that was established in a previous episode to build up to this point, to have it come from the sort of Discovery milieu, so to speak, I think ultimately that makes it much, much more powerful from my perspective and does kind of take that little stain off of the moment in Saints of Imperfection because now I see it for what it is, them laying the groundwork for the ultimate reveal at the end of the season of the identity of the Red Angel. It was interesting to me that uh, the apparent identity of the Red Angel was revealed really at the beginning of the episode. And and, and I got to say, Bill, you've been saying for weeks that you thought the Red Angel was Michael. And when Tilly gave us that piece of information, I was kind of like, oh, crap. (laughs) I know. Right. And I'm like, you know what? There's something's going on here. They would not have given that reveal so early in the episode. I knew at that point I was 100 percent wrong. You know, I didn't know who it was going to be, but I'm like, yeah, this, uh, yeah, they're bringing it up this early. It's not a giant reveal like they tried to do with, with last season's worst kept secret in Hollywood with Tyler slash Vogue slash Tyler. Um, I I knew at that point that I was just, I was out of the running for being right. Um, and I was okay with it because ultimately the way it was revealed, I thought was done exceptionally well. Believe me, man, I was okay with it too. So, <laughs> so as uh, the episode is is uh, is progressing along, we have a very interesting scene in in engineering between Giorgio, Tilly, Stamets, and Culber. Uh, let's talk about that for a few minutes. A little bit of humor in there, a little bit of awkwardness. Um, I gotta say that as the scene progressed. I didn't dislike the scene, but I found myself thinking of the intendant in Deep Space Nine and comparing that to Giorgio because I've talked about how much I love the Mirror Universe countless times. But one of the things I did not like about the Mirror Universe towards the end of seeing it in Deep Space Nine was the over, quote, sexification of the intendant. And that's all she talked about and all that she wanted to do and this, that and the other thing. And I kind of. I got to admit, guys, I started thinking about that, and that's what Georgiou was kind of focusing on during that scene. I know she's probably just trying to push buttons, but it was something that I thought about. And, Bill, let's start with you on that topic. What did you think about that scene? Uh, I was okay with it. I mean, Philippa Giorgio, or at least the the Mirror Universe version of her, is a master manipulator. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that she saw an opportunity to get under these people's skin and maybe to have a little fun for herself. I think that this is what brings, you know, Philippa a little bit of joy. Uh, it's not helping people. It's not. Uh, it's not conquering worlds. It's the ability to get in people's heads and mess with them and to make them as uncomfortable as possible. And not only did that provide some really good context for her, as well as for uh, Culber and, and Stamets, but I, I think that it provided some much needed levity for this episode. It was very, very, you know, restrained in that sense. But you know. 
there are two fantastic lines in this scene. The first of which is don't be so binary, <laughs> which, it, which has so many purposes as uh, just a, as four words of dialogue in this episode. And then the other one was, did she just call me poppy? <laughs> which, which was just fantastic. Yes. It, it acknowledges, you know, right in your face that, <laughs> that, um, pansexuality is a thing yeah. And it's something we can all talk about, as well as the fact that we have, uh, you know, somebody of uh, of Puerto Rican descent in Star Trek Discovery with mm-hmm. both lines. And I thought that it was a great way to illustrate diversity without beating you over the head with it. And very snappily dressed, too. Oh, yeah. He looked pretty awesome in this episode. Yeah. And one of the things I liked, Alex, is, is, is Giorgio's character has not really interacted with Culber before they were, they were, they melded so great in that scene. You could, the acting in that scene between the two of them. And, and, you know, she hasn't really been with many people besides Leland and Burnham anytime in the show uh, after of course, what happened in the first two episodes. So it was really great to see that they were able to work so well together in that scene. It made it work. It didn't, you didn't think it was fake. Tilly's what just happened. And the look on Culber's face afterwards was classic. What did you think about that scene, buddy? I really liked it. Uh, you know, I think the Giorgio character is one that's going to continue to spark a significant amount of debate going forward. Not just as we round out Discovery Season 2, but going into Season 3 and then into the Section 31 show. The fact that I know that we have so much more of this character left to come and they clearly have you know, big plans for how to explore the character means that at this point I'm along for the ride, but I can definitely see, you know, there is a ton of discussion online at the moment around this character because, you know, she is one who in her home universe is, you know, I hate using this term space Hitler. Um, uh, You know, she eats people. Um, We've seen her commit multiple murders at least one genocide um and i think you know the show is really trying to explore i think that nature versus versus nurture debate around you know are you inherently evil or is there even for the most evil person you can possibly imagine some kind of potential redemption possible? My read of that scene between uh, Stamets and Culber and Giorgio and Tilly was on the one hand, yeah, she was definitely trying to mess with them and get inside their head. But I also felt like some of the way they were playing it was that Giorgio was trying to contribute to helping them both understand that they still have feelings for each other and kind of drive forward towards that reconciliation. And so, you know, on the one hand, yes, she, she is a bit of one of those kind of um, characters who just sort of revels in, in, in chaos, but also it does seem like she does care about some version of them um, and, and was sort of contributing towards pushing towards that. And we've seen that from this character a few times now. And, and the second storyline for this episode was around her kind of pushing Burnham towards having that confrontation with Leland in order to get the information around what happened to her parents. Um, so, you know, we're in this really interesting place. I, I think obviously we have a lot more to see from this character. And I think the debate that's taking place online about her is an extremely right and extremely healthy one. Um, but I think the show has a story that it's trying to set, trying to tell and, a, and an angle it's trying to explore. And I, I'm very interested in exploring it along with them i find it interesting your your take that uh, maybe she wants to show them how that they still have feelings for each other because if you remember on the planet surface culber was trying to make an attempt to talk to stamets and stamets just shut him down real quick and the director made a very very um not force that may not be the right word but they showed her her reaction to that conversation as it was ending and i thought that was very interesting because i was saying to myself said she's investing in these guys for some reason is it going to be a good reason or a bad reason and hopefully we'll find out so as we move along there were two scenes in particular that i wanted to talk about in the strength of the emotion and the bonding between the characters involved both scenes just include two people by themselves talking. And let's get to the first one, which was Culber and Admiral Cornwell. Admiral Cornwell, of course, was, before she became an admiral in Starfleet, was a psychologist. And Culber going to see her in her quarters was, Bill, it's just amazing. The discussion, 
the um, the emotion without being over too without being overly emotional was 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 just spot on, and it, it's amazing that that short scene probably has huge ramifications in a positive way. I think later on for Culber, what do you think? Oh, I think so too. And also, if this doesn't pave the way for a a, a counselor abo- aboard every starship, I don't know what does. This is a this is probably my favorite scene of this week's episode. There's a lot that went on, but there was so much depth to this episode and so much emotion that I was instantly drawn to. And we're going to hear about this scene a little later on in a couple of other segments from me. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But I thought that this was fantastic depth, not just for Culber, but also for Admiral Cornwell. You know, she's been, you know, calling the shots. She's been somebody making some ugly decisions. You know, there's some people convinced that she's going to turn out to be a bad moral. I personally don't think that. But when she gets to use this particular aspect of of her character's backstory, I thought it was extremely effective and, and just written exceedingly well. Yeah, and, it, you know, this scene, since Culber has returned... It, it feels like people have been pushing him towards wanting to be the old Culber. Yes. You know, that was very much the relationship. The the scenes between Culber and Stamets after Saints of Imperfection were Stamets basically being like, well, everything's back to normal now, right? And Culber very much being like, no, no, no. And it felt like in this episode, Cornwell was the first person to really kind of confront him with not a, well, you're just the same guy, but with a, no, you're a totally different person now. Yeah. Um, and it seems like Culber has been trying to find that comfort point between I am the same person that I was before and I'm an entirely different person. And he doesn't like being confronted with you're the same person you were before. But it also seemed like from this scene, and this is what makes me think we're now on the pathway towards some kind of reconciliation between these characters. He's also not entirely comfortable with the idea of being an entirely new person as well. Because once he tried on those pair of shoes to go with that fabulous jacket and fabulous shirt. Um, (laughs) He, I think ultimately decided that they also didn't quite fit right. So it almost seems to me like that the, the path forward for this character is sort of helping to reconcile being both the same and different, but neither entirely. Um, And hopefully within that path forward, there is some kind of room for him to recognize his, deep and abiding love for Paul Stamets and a reconciliation for that relationship. Yeah. And on top of that, we get to see him doing what he is supposed to be doing and that's being a doctor. I'm sure that that was something that helped him. I think for me, this was the first time that I've actually enjoyed the scenes with Culber since he came back. I don't mean that in a negative way, because as you may recall, when Culber has been on since he came back to life, I've kind of, I've kind of, um, compared it to Pet Cemetery, and it was very uncomfortable, and he was very angry, and 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 it, it was they were tough scenes for me to watch. He seemed, I know he's not, but he seemed comfortable in this week's episode. Of course, looking as awesome as he did with the outfit he had on, like you were talking about, Alex, certainly makes it easier to 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 appreciate that he looks comfortable. He's still struggling, of course, but that struggle seems more. Uh, I, I don't know what the right word is. It's more therapeutic right now. And I think, like you said, talking to Cornwell and having her be the first one to really recognize what he's going through instead of trying to point him in the direction that that he should be, quote unquote, going towards like other people have been doing, I think really made his character evolve in this week. And it, and it looked really good. Um, of course, we have those two uh, talking about things and having emotional scenes. But uh, let's move to the Discovery Gym, which we got to see for the first time uh, ever this week as Burnham is, is is kicking the tar out of one of the uh, target dummies. Spock walks in and and they have a really amazing conversation. And before we get to the conversation, one of the things that I appreciated beforehand was the sarcastic jibes that Spock was giving Burnham in sickbay. Just really sort of like Georgia getting under her skin. He's able to do it in the Vulcan way. He's being serious, but at the same time, you know, he's doing it on purpose just to get her ticked off. It, it seems to me, but then we're in, in the gym and we get that conversation that I did not expect. Uh, the, and it, the forgiveness and the emotion on Burnham's face, the verbal and, and physical sigh of relief that she gave as Spock was talking to her. I've talked about how, whether or not they're going to reconcile, 
before the end of the season, and there's been discussion on whether or not that'll happen. This was a gigantic step in that direction. What do you think, Alex? Perhaps you merely have a penchant for the dramatic. <laughs> um, my One of my favorite things over the last few episodes has been um, the Spock characters, uh, low-key but very cutting burns on Michael Burnham. Because um, mm-hmm. they're all true, ultimately, uh, which is what makes them such great like little you know, needling insults. Um, uh, and I thought this was a really nice scene. I mean, this has been a relationship that, you know, we've kind of traveled with now over the last few episodes and have sort of seen it in multiple different incarnations. And uh, I liked that in this episode, we did sort of feel like we were starting to get towards a place where these two characters were more comfortable with each other and that Spock was approaching Burnham with something a bit less than sort of, you know, mostly hostility um and that the kind of the the more sort of loving brotherly sisterly relationship that had clearly existed between them at one time because we saw it um uh there's still some room for that in their relationship um those scenes have been really nice because spark has kind of been providing um uh the opposite perspective to kind of help burnham you know he he's kind of constantly been chucking cold water on a lot of her kind of you know out there kind of ideas and really helping her kind of clarify and crystallize um what her own perspective should be which is which which has been a really great role for the character I agree with that. And can we just acknowledge that the best part about the sick bay scene where Spock was throwing shade at her was actually Captain Pike and his reactions to the little, you know, tete-a-tete between Burnham and Spock. He just was smiling and enjoying it, and that made the scene even funnier. But but to go back to the gym and 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 the sort of you know, path to reconciliation, if you will. Ethan Peck has really done a great job of making this Spock his own. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody will ever compare to Leonard Nimoy or fill those shoes. I mean, that's just, it's unspoken. It doesn't mean any, no one else can play Spock. It just means that Leonard Spock is, is part of our pop culture. You know, it's something that we expect and it's something that we, we look at as sort of comfort food as Trekkies, but Ethan Peck is doing one hell of a job with this character. And this scene is probably the best demonstration of that. You know, he, he exhibits a Spock that is uh, warmer and closer to the Spock we know in TOS as opposed to being uh, frantic and cold and emotional. He's very recognizable as Vulcan. And the understanding that that he and Burnham come to in that scene is is really kind of nice. It's what I expected out of their relationship eventually. So I feel like I've got a little bit of reconciliation between them. If that's as good as it ever gets... I'm a happy guy because um, it's no longer at each other's throats. You know, it's very Vulcan in the way that it it, it sort of patched itself together. So I thought that was a, a, a wonderful scene. And, and Sonequa was just as good as Ethan was in that scene for obvious reasons. Yeah, it, it, it's it's so obvious that, that the people that are putting Discovery together got the right people to play the right characters. I will say this, though, and and and. I'm I'm half serious and half joking, and I'd like to see what you guys think. I think it's time for Spock to shave. I like the beard, but I'm ready to see the Spock that we know. What do you think? Season finale, brother. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yep. Hold agree. on a little longer. Maybe see him in his blue tur- tunic and everything. So, yeah, we shall see. So, of course, all of this buildup with all the things that are going on in this episode is eventually to capture the Red Angel so that they can um, analyze it, see who it is, do what they need to do. And in order to do that, there is a whole bunch of Trek techno babble going on and what they're going to do on um, on the on the poisonous planet. I think it's a class v if i remember correctly through my reading but sf4 not looking like a very comfortable place and of course they hatch this plan and um in order to uh to get this plan to work and for the red angel to appear they've discovered that burnham has to be in danger so she puts it upon herself to die pretty much and for all intents and purposes in order for that being to show up she's gonna do what she needs to do even if it means she dies doing it and I thought that the plan for this, while I was a little confused at times trying to figure out who's going to be doing what and what needs to happen with the elastic band and the micro wormhole and this, that, and the other thing, and the and the and what looked like the old transporter from the Shenzhou being used to be the the force field on the planet. A lot going on, but at the same time, it all works when you get right down to it and you start dissecting what they need to do in the episode. So, uh, so Bill, let's start with you this time. 
let's talk about that plan. Let's talk about the actual event and talking about the Red Angels showing up and what happened. I thought it was a great crescendo to this episode, and it all flowed just perfectly. Watching Sonequa suffer was caused me to suffer. It was it was another brilliant acting moment by Sonequa there. What do you think? Uh, listening to you usually makes me suffer, but I think you're right. Um, <laughs> sorry, I went a little Trek geeks on you there. I apologize. You just said so it up Alex, for me. what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I always worry with, with mousetrap type scenarios in any show or movie that it's going to become an overly convoluted thing that winds up like Mission Impossible. There's no possible way it can work, so they have to improvise on the ground and find a way to make it work a different way. And that's what I had you know, fear of coming into the end of this episode. The fact that it worked and it worked the way it was supposed to made me breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because I'm like, oh, okay, we're not going to manufacture a crisis here. Um, we're actually going to press on in the development of these characters and and actually say, hey, these people know what they're doing. Um, I thought the way the plan worked was really interesting. When I came to the realization that Burnham was probably going to have to die in order for it to work, I'm like, yeah, uh, that can't be good. And I thought that Spock took the only logical action he could. I thought it was interesting that Giorgio was going to be the one to pull her out first, because it shows that this Philippa Giorgio has the capacity to care about something other than conquering worlds or herself, because you know the empress of the Terran Empire has to be a huge narcissist. So I think that's an interesting evolution for that character. And like you said, Dan, watching Sonequa essentially suffer as Michael Burnham and watch her suffocate and watch the life just, you know, uh, fading from her before our very eyes. That was tense. That was brutal. And by the time, you know, her bio signs actually flatlined, it was like, Oh man, that was real. That was, it felt real. And I thought that's what sold the rest of the scene. I don't think it would have been possible for her character to be killed off permanently in this. But as I've talked before in in today's world with the with the Game of Thrones shows and 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 all of these other shows where any character can die at any time I got to admit I was a little nervous um when when it happened you talked about the improvisation like with Mission Impossible and I looked at what Spock did as the improvisation of what was going on he was going to make sure that this plan succeeded it wasn't something that anybody was expecting to happen and for him to pull a phaser on the crew I thought was a, a an amazing Spock moment and Again, brilliantly acted by Ethan. And you're right, Giorgio, you can tell that she's got feelings for this Burnham. Uh, and it was something that we were not ready to see. Alex, what did you actually think about what was going on in that entire scene? Oh, I thought it was great. Um, give me a good tech the tech scene anytime, right? Totally. Um, uh, but actually, you know, one that worked really well, uh, you know, to Bill's point, the 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 techno babble was um, uh, was thick, micro wormholes, graviton beams, tetrionic radiation. Um, but at the same time, uh, by the way, all of which are callbacks to previous Star Trek. Check my Canon exactly. series at trekcore.com. Um, but uh, uh, at the same time, it wasn't so thick that you couldn't like find your way through it to see the um uh to see the 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 story behind it and 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 for it to make you feel the emotion um and and spock's decision to pull a phaser and 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 hold it on on you know the rest of the away team was a very kind of affecting moment um uh, you know he clearly is the one most invested in kind of pulling his way through this situation not least because you know it drove him partially insane for a while so you can see why he would uh, the stakes would be quite a lot higher for him than potentially they are for other characters involved in the situation um but overall i thought it was really good you know it was really powerful end to the episode um gave us that kind of balance after all of the sort of you know the the talkier character scenes, which I absolutely loved, um, but then to give us sort of a high tension, high paced um, set piece at the end of the episode was was really great, and I think it was probably one of the better kind of ensemble set pieces that we've seen this season. But you know, guys, with all of this stuff that happened in this episode, all this context, all this uh, driving of the plot forward, um, I'm sorry, but it's still lazy writing. Oh my God. Can you believe that that was the criticism we saw this week on, uh, from some on social media? I, I'm sorry. If you're calling what happened this week lazy writing, I'm sorry, but you don't understand how television is produced, how scripts are written, or how this show is evolving 
over time. I've seen people blame the format. I've seen people blame the shortened season and how it doesn't allow for character development. I've seen just about every faux excuse thrown up this week. And I'm sorry, but this is a fantastic season of Star Trek. And this episode on its own probably stands head and shoulders above a bunch of Star Trek Discovery episodes that are all still really good. I absolutely agree, man. You said it, I think, several times uh, this season as we record Discovering Trek. If people are not going to like Discovery, it's because they don't want to like Discovery and they're going to come up with excuses as to why. Perfect example right there because I thought the writing in this one was some of the best of the season. Uh, One more thing I wanted to talk about in regards to this plan. Of course, we've got the Section 31 ship. Ash is there. Um, Leland is there. There are things going on. Leland all of a sudden needed to have an eye appointment uh, and was getting checked (laughs) for glasses. And we saw what happened with that looked really painful, first of all. That looked really bad. And Bill and I, we've talked about this online, uh, offline a little bit, is is what just happened there? Um, was he infected? Uh, was he killed? Because right after that happened, and he obviously is unconscious, we hear Leland's voice on the bridge telling Ash that he's got the power that he needs. So something's going on here. I don't think it's the end of what we're going to see with that particular scene. What do you think happened, Alex? I think we've not seen the last of our good friend control from the last episode. You know, they'd sort of set it up earlier in the episode about how um, the AI was almost certainly still out there somewhere, even though they destroyed the section 31 station and the, and the ships had sort of reported in that they didn't have any AI infiltration. Um, and I think the, the end of the episode is kind of indicated that, well, maybe they didn't look hard enough. Um, uh, and maybe Leland's dead because of it. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I think who knows if he died, I'll be curious to see whether you classify him in the red shirt roll call this week or not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, who knows what ultimately, you know, if, if they killed him, but it definitely seemed to me that that was the, the AI incapacitating him at least copying his voice so that he can that so that the AI can then provide orders in his name through at least whatever the next, you know, short section of this is um, into the next episode to advance its own agenda related to presumably helping to ensure its own evolution towards this 28th century adversary that, you know, wants to wipe out all sentient life of the galaxy. Well, speaking of the red shirt roll call, Alex, we have reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Bill, as, as Alex mentioned, uh, some things may have happened, some things may not have happened, but we do know about one in particular issue that took place this week that uh, has a very special place here in the Red Shirt Roll Call this week, don't we? Indeed, Dan. Indeed. You know, this week, none other than Michael Burnham suffered an excruciating death as she suffocated in the atmosphere of SF4. I mean, she was dead. Her bio-readings indicated as such. And then, then, out of nowhere, the Red Angel shows up and plucks her right off the red shirt roll call. I mean, we have to asterisk this one. I mean, come on, Red Angel, you're why we can't have nice things. I mean, seriously, this this segment is hard enough to program every week without you taking stuff away. And then what's up? (laughs) What's up with Leland? I almost said Leighton. What's up with Leland? I mean, is he dead? Isn't he? Just give me a name. I'm at the point where I'm going to start citing characters from other shows to put in the red shirt roll call. So this week we say goodbye to little Sebastian from parks and recreation. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye little Sebastian. You're 5,000 candles in the wind. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for that, uh, Bill. Uh, So we will raise a glass of synthahol as we say goodbye. And then hello to those that we have lost and then found in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and collectibles because they truly are the best in the industry. When you place an order at Fansets, you can truly be confident that you are getting the best products 
the best prices and hands down the best customer service around. Lou and John and everybody over at Fansets shares the exact same passion for Star Trek as you and I do, and it truly shows with every pin they have coming out. New Star Trek pins now are released twice a month, which is exciting. And for the month of April, uh, this is fantastic news, Dan. You can look forward to Dr. Phlox and also Miles O'Brien being added to the Fansets line of micro crew characters. Both pins are going to be available at fansets.com, as well as the already almost 200 unique Star Trek pins they have right now. So do yourself a favor and head on over to their site, put a a metric ton of pins and maybe even some pin accessories into your shopping cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code, MOM. That's M-O-M. All capital letters, so easy to spell and remember. That code is going to get you 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. But remember, this code is only going to be available to use until Sunday, March 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I don't think I can even screw up that special checkout code. <laughs> you, you probably could. You probably <laughs> I probably could. Uh, so yeah, that's mom. In addition to those two pins, the folks at Fansets have a whole bunch of Star Trek coming your way. Very soon, the highly anticipated Discovery Season 2 episodic pin collection will be available, followed by what I am most looking forward to this season, the unbelievable uniform series set of pins with actual fabric from uniforms worn on set up in Toronto. Plus, uh, pin three of the popular Trek Tech series will be released, and it's the TNG Phaser Rifle. Very, very cool. That'll be coming soon. So tune in every week here on Discovering Trek to find out what new pins are headed your way. Fansets, we are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels... This was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times. And here in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Alex, again, as our guest, let's start with you. Uh, What deep dive do you have for this week? So this episode reminded me a lot of Light and Shadows, in terms of its kind of place in the season. You know, it kind of gave us an opportunity to pause and to reflect on the last two huge propulsive episodes and sort of set us up for the next kind of turn and what I'm sure will be another two kind of huge propulsive episodes. But it almost felt to me like one of the main themes that came through this week, just as it did in Light and Shadows, um, was the importance of talking things through, um, to take a moment to pause and reflect on events that have just happened in your life and talk about them and to say the things that you need to say to the people that you need to say them to. You know, we got that a bunch in this episode. There's this really nice scene between Nan and Burnham, which is just a short scene in which, you know, Nan basically says, look, I did what I had to do. And Burnham says, you know, I totally understand that was this kind of really nice moment between those characters. And also, frankly, you know, I think we have learned from the Burnham character over the course of two seasons that she's not particularly one to talk all that much about her feelings. And that has gotten her into trouble a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, this episode kind of helped both the character and I think us as the audience be reminded about the importance of having those difficult conversations with people um, uh, as we got in this episode, you know, uh, because as a result of of not talking about things, Burnham's a character who's carried around a ton of guilt that has led her to make some really questionable choices over the course of her life um, that maybe, you know, wasn't ultimately all that necessary. Um, so I think, you know, this was a really great episode because it gave us that opportunity to pause and to reflect and to talk things out. And I think that is not only a really important reminder for our characters, but also an important reminder for the audience as well. You know, the only way to make a new road is to walk it. You know, those words have stayed with me this week as I've thought about this episode and, and thought about things in general. You know, we're human. We hate change. We're fearful of the unknown. And sometimes uh, it, it's the easiest and the hardest decision to stay right where we are. 
it's easier than to summon the courage that it takes to step down that new road. In Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Spock tells Valeris that nature abhors a vacuum, and he wasn't wrong. You know, we must grow, we must change, or we will die. Our society must evolve as we as individuals evolve. You know, there's, there's so much spite and vitriol in society today and on social media, and the only way to combat it, the only way to change it, is to begin to walk that new road ourselves. It starts with us. It simply must start with us today for our future, or else it doesn't start at all. Dan? You know, there were probably a few different areas of this episode that one could pick and discuss how it shows our humanity. Bill and Alex both had amazing examples. But for me, this episode was about selflessness. Uh, I got to say, I hit the nail on the head last week during long range scans when I said someone was going to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. I just didn't expect it to be the very next episode. Here we have Burnham standing up to Pike, who refuses to let her put herself in harm's way. But she stays true to her beliefs, and her course of action could potentially save all life in the galaxy. You know, basically, she's saying that quote that we as Trek fans know all too well. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. If there's something more humane than risking your own life to protect others, I sure don't know what it is. Even as scared as she was, she went through with it because she knew it had to be done. And that kind of sacrifice shows the level of humanity that this character, Michael Burnham, has. And comparing it to today, it's like those who fight to keep us safe and free. Every day, our members of the military put their lives on the line to protect us, and many pay that ultimate sacrifice. I just hope that they all know how thankful I am for their courage their protection, and their humanity. Commendations, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, Alex and Bill, it's time for some awards. It's Starfleet Commendations time. Let's see what you picked this week to receive your Starfleet Commendations. Alex? Well, first, I mean, how could we not call out the queen of Star Trek Discovery, that is our beloved Sonequa Martin-Green for her fabulous performance in this episode throughout the whole entirety of Star Trek Discovery. Um, she has been the rock around which this show is oriented, it seems like, both on and off screen, um, given what a lot of her cast members have said about her and the role she plays as sort of the leader of the ensemble cast, as well as being uh, the lead character on the show. Um, that scene in which she is suffocating for breath on ESO 4 will uh, will sit with me in both a good and a bad way um, because it was a really affecting scene, um, uh, just really, really brutal to watch in, 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 in the best way. Um, uh, the quiet moments with Tyler, with Nan, with Spock um, were, were just fabulous. So, so one, it's got to be Sonequa Martin-Green, and then two, for me, it's got to be Ethan Peck as Spock. After the death of Leonard Nimoy, I was not sure that I had room in my heart for another portrayal of Spock. Um, and I remember saying when the Enterprise showed up at the end of season one that I really hoped that we would not see Spock in season two of Star Trek Discovery. I, I didn't want it. I, I was very clear about that. And boy, was I wrong. Um, Ethan's been fabulous as Spock. He has been, it feels to me like channeling Leonard Nimoy in the best way. I mean, even just a tiny little moment in this, in this last episode, which was pointed out to me by our good friend, Claire Little, um, in which he says, uh, he's talking about the, uh, tetrionic radiation that inhibited both normal communications and sensors, um, which, you know, flashback to, uh, to the cage, um, and Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of Spock there. Ethan has been fabulous. I love this portrayal of Spock and I'm so glad that, um, uh, that this character gets to continue to live through Ethan Peck in a way that ultimately I think is the truest honor to the Leonard Nimoy performance of the character. So it's an equal Martin Green, Ethan Peck. It's, 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 uh, it's nothing unique, but, um, but both of them are, were spectacular in this episode and have been all season. 
It's funny that you say it's not unique because I'm going to jump in with mine. And uh, wow, they sound really familiar. Uh, my first one, of course, goes to Sonequa Martin-Green. So many powerful moments in this episode to the revelations that her parents died because of Leland and Section 31, to her outrage and punching him in the face and then taking it out on Ash and then showing Ash how afraid she was for what was about to happen to the gut-wrenching scenes of watching her die and the physical pain that she was dealing with. She is an amazing actor. She's an amazing performer, and she continues to really just carry the torch for Star Trek. Uh, just love what she's doing. Uh, also, Ethan Peck. There we go. Two, two, uh, two accommodations uh, that are exactly the same as yours, Alex. You know, his portrayal of Spock just gets better and better. And I said it earlier, I'm looking forward to seeing him without a beard and with his blue tunic on, which I think we'll get. But even with that being said, Ethan has done just an amazing job of playing this iconic role as his own while respecting the job that Leonard did. And like you said, Alex, I put it in here, a perfect example was that pronunciation of censors. I literally got goosebumps. I literally teared up when that took place. It was an amazing and the tiniest of attention to detail that you can have when you're portraying a character that people know so well. And finally, my third Starfleet commendation is going to go to the writers, Chris Silvestri and Anthony uh, Marinville. This episode had a lot going on. Arium's funeral, Burnham's past, Spock and Burnham, Giorgio Culber and Hugh, Hugh and Cornwell, the Red Angel, and on and on and on. But the flow of this episode was perfect, and it was never too much. It never felt like it was too much. And the stories of the episode worked well together, and they were placed perfectly and in the right spots. Sometimes we have B and C stories that just don't fit right in an episode, but this week, they were all A stories to me. Bill? Well, you know, the queen is going to hit for the cycle this episode, gents. My first commendation goes to Sinequa Martin-Green. She was just so amazing. This She's amazing every episode. You're both 100% spot on. And this week is, is just takes it to a different level. I think she hit every range of emotion this week, and she was just flawless, as always. Star Trek is in very good, capable hands with her portraying Michael Burnham. My second commendation, I'm going to change it up a little bit, goes to Jane Brooke. I love Admiral Cornwell. Um, we're fleshing out more detail for this character as the weeks go on. We're humanizing her more and more and more. And Jane's performance this week brought true, real depth to the character. The scene with Culber was touching and important. I thought it was played just so very well. And then lastly, I have a meta commendation this week, and it goes out to secrecy. That's right. Last year, as I mentioned before in this episode, the worst kept secret in Hollywood was the fact that Ash Tyler was Voke and Voke was Ash Tyler. And by the time it wasn't revealed, it wasn't a revelation in any sense of the word. This year, the reveal of the Red Angel was a stunner. And sincere thanks to the entire team at Star Trek Discovery for keeping it under wraps for the audience. It truly made a huge difference. Dan? Long range scan of planet complete. Well, what is next for Discovery, gentlemen? Uh, we're going to give our thoughts here in long-range scans as to what we think will happen next week or maybe on in the season. As season two continues along at warp speed, there's only a few episodes left, guys, and that's that's kind of sad. Uh, I'll start off with this one. Um, I finally got one right. Yay me. I'm going to see if I can go two for two next week uh, or this week. Once we'll see next week or late, later on. You know, we've seen hints at what uh, Giorgio is capable of in her quest for power at Section 31. And I think we're going to find out that she is responsible for the AI that is taking over control and is wrecking havoc and threatening to end all life in the galaxy, a la the Matrix, a la Skynet from the Terminator. But you know what? She doesn't even know how to stop it. That's what I'm thinking. Alex? So we had two reveals for the Red Angel this week. The first reveal was that it was Michael Burnham. The second reveal was that it was Michael Burnham's mother. And by the end of the episode, you might think that one is true and the other is not true. My long-range scan is that both are true and that at some point before the end of the season, we will see Michael Burnham put on the time travel suit and that one of the appearances of the Red Angel from previous in the season, that it's going to turn out to 
sometimes to have been the mother and potentially even on at least one occasion to have been Michael Burnham as well. Because they were so sure that that bioneural pattern that they picked up from the Project Daedalus file was Michael Burnham. And since it comes from the 28th century, there's plenty of room for that to have been a future appearance of the Red Angel um, that was, in fact, Michael Burnham. So I think we might ultimately see this end up kind of completing the loop. And yes, the Red Angel is Burnham's mother. But at some point in the next, what are we, four episodes before the end of the season, my my prediction is we'll see Burnham put on the suit. Interesting. I, I can't disagree with you there, man. Bill, how about you? Are we going to go for another uh, another win this week? Uh, well, that remains to be seen. I have to say, I really love Alex's long-range scan. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's one I hadn't considered, and now that I think about it, I think I know which appearance it could be. However, for my long-range scan, we're going to go short-range long-range scan, uh, which isn't confusing enough. Looks like we could see some Klingons next week. I'm very excited about that. I loves me some Discovery Klingons. And I have a feeling that might not go so well for Tyler. I'm going to guess that um, his presence in the area gets revealed to some of the Klingons, and that potentially imperils the chancellorship of Lorel. Um, there could we could see we could see some Klingons added to the uh, red shirt roll call next week, simply just to keep the secret. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, we we have not seen Klingons very much this season, so I like that, and I'm hoping you're right, my friend. Uh, and I guess we're going to find out because you know next week, next episode, it's episode 11, Bill. What do we got going on next week, man? Well, buddy, next week we're going to consider the 11th episode of this season of Star Trek Discovery titled Perpetual Infinity. Until then, remember you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks network of podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. You can get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content, see the first of our annual supporters' pins from Fansets, which is just breathtaking, and uh, check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt along with so many other perks. Speaking of Patreon, Bill, we've got some amazing producers here on Discovering Trek, and we want to take a moment to recognize them. Uh, Ken Tripp, Casey Shasky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Holloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Charlie Mulvey, Scott Vashon, Harry Michelson, and the beautiful and talented Matt McGonagall. <laughs> uh, beautiful is a bit of a stretch um, <laughs> if you would like to become a producer of discovering trek or even get access to the raw audio for these discovering trek episodes head on over to patreon.com slash trek geeks subscription level start at one dollar a month and you can subscribe today well alex i gotta tell you man it has been an absolute honor and joy to have you here this week to talk about uh, episode 10 and star trek discovery you're you're your analysis is 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 probably some of the best we've had on the show. Thank you so much. Where can folks find you online so that they can continue to follow your amazing analysis, as just mentioned? Oh, well, thank you, guys. This has been a real pleasure for me to uh, to be on with you today. So you can find me in three places online. On Twitter, you can find me at Alexander T. Perry. Uh, every week, I host uh, Weekly Trek, which is the Tricorder Transmissions 30-minute uh, weekly news show of all the latest news in the Star Trek franchise. And you can also find me on trekcore.com. I've been trading reviewer duties for Discovery this season with Claire. And I also write the uh, Canon Connection series where I pick out all of the little Easter eggs from the the episodes that tie back to previous Star Trek. So lots and lots and lots of places, lots and lots and lots of places you can find me if you are just begging for more Alex Perry content, which I'm not sure why you would. Very nice. I love the Easter eggs, man. I just love that you point those things out. They're great. Thank you. Well, before I forget, I just want to give a big shout out to Jeff. We miss you at work, man, and thanks for listening. Well, folks, that's it for us and our discussion on The Red Angel. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and what you think about Discovering Trek as well. We thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down again next week to talk about Episode 11 and the Perpetual Infinity. Until then... Here are some words of wisdom from Captain James T. Kirk. We prefer to help ourselves. We make mistakes. 
but we're human. And maybe that's the word that best explains us. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.